to start this off, I feel like there needs to be a hook, something edgy or something like profound to see how a person gets from listening to R&B to folk punk. But I just want to get right into it. This is to explore my uh, personal journey through my taste in music, as well as a function as sort of a living memoir. I'm pretty sentimental about most things. And if you're here listening and I haven't met you, I'm glad you're here. To start this off, additionally, this podcast is dedicated to my family and friends, the people that knew me during the Churro incident, to the people that knew me when I saw snow higher than my knees for the first time, and the miracle that kept me alive after $2 mystery shots. And to anyone who's ever believed in me, I want to remember all of you, and this is the best way I can. This is all of you. preface all this i know nothing music or musical theory beyond my happenstance musings i'm not a critic i'm not a blogger i occasionally read pitchfork reviews and i'm a fair weather subscriber to the internet's busiest music nerd so if i say something wrong in these upcoming chapters you're probably right music is what this podcast is really about well specifically my interactions with music through my life so far Music touches all of us in different ways and how we use it as a universal language. Maybe use it to recall a memory, to feel an emotion, to speak to a culture, or you use it to connect, to feel something that brings you, the song, the artists, and the fans closer to a level of mutual understanding despite your differences. That shared experience is something that's hard to replicate or explain. Music is much of a you had to be there to understand it as much as anything, either by listening to a recording, attending a concert, or playing it yourself on your own personal instrument. It's hard to describe. It's as much as it's its own language as English and Spanish. From the recording to the live stream to the concert, And speaking of live streams, if you haven't been in a live stream, a chat of 24 hour lo-fi beats to hip hop slash 32, I highly recommend it. It's just an experience, so vibe with your fellow listeners. But aside from that, from the poetry circle to the mosh pit, there's this primal imperative to express oneself when met with music or to express yourself through what you listen to. And this podcast is how I chose to express myself and wander and meander through the human experience with music. In the beginning, my first memory of music was probably some format of Beethoven, not to be a prude, but my parents subscribed to the idea of playing classical music for babies and toddlers to help with their mental development. I don't know the studies or the science to back it up or anything like that, but It is soothing. And now that I think about it, maybe there's something to it. Maybe it leads to an early understanding of pattern recognition or an earlier exposure to historical topics. Who knows? But I was the only person I knew in grade school who listened to Midday NPR on their personal portable radio. To rewind, growing up blackish and in the suburbs is an experience I recommend to anyone. It gives you a very outside looking in perspective on life 
you're too white to hang out with the other black kids and you're black enough to be everyone's black friend. And this experience really penetrates to what you listen to. And as much as I tried, I really couldn't fit the stereotype. I didn't, I don't know a ton about rap, I'll be honest. I made early mistakes calling Nas Das and calling Twista Twister. And as far as I can remember, I never at any point exclusively listened to hip hop or rap. And I didn't really get into hip hop culture until my late teens. I always knew who the topical big names were at any given time, like Wayne, Kanye, Soulja, Luda, and so forth. But not much farther than that. I was really late to mumble rap. I was never really into Drake. But to say that I didn't care about hip hop is not completely true. I love hip hop for what it is. It's not exactly what sells. It would be like a film critic not liking action or superhero movies is my best comparison, best comparison I think. But aside, I've given tons of music a try over the years and I'm happy about where I am. My mom listened to gospel and R&B, which is the norm. And if you know what waking up on the weekend to loud gospel music went, then you already know where most of the story goes. It led to an earlier appreciation for things such as Barry White, Seal, and Usher songs that fall into a playlist I finally called today, Sad Nigger Radio. My uh, sister was the only vector at the time into contemporary hip hop, which was really limited to Destiny's Child and TLC and various one hit wonders of the party rap scene, such as Luke. If you know about Doo Doo Brown, you already know. I'd occasionally watch Soul Train as it came on the Saturday, came on after really, the Saturday morning cartoons, like right after. I remember at the Animaniacs ending and Soul Train was right there to pick it up and I'd be baited in by the dancing train and the catchy music from the intro. Which really brings us into the late 90s, where hopefully I was mostly aware of my surroundings. I was into the radio, I was ever on TV, and I really grasped the concepts that there was music I was really unaware of until my dad would pick me up and throw me against the sofa and say, Let the boys be boys! Slam! Dun-dun-na, dun-dun-na. And I never really knew what that song was, and I never really had a way to look it up. And I never thought to ask, I just thought it was a song he made up. But I'll put a pin on this statement, and I'll circle back onto that later. For those years I grew up in the Georgia metro Atlanta area in the 90s into the early 2000s, I, and hopefully anyone else who's in this area, was acquainted with the radio station 95.5 The Beat. It was essentially, looking back on it now, Top 20's pop with an edge. An edge that was really just a minefield of uncensored pop songs and the occasional rap and hip-hop song that you wouldn't hear on other stations that have a reputation for being family-friendly at all times. It gives credence that I still remember that station, even though it's really, it's gone now, replaced by conservative talk radio. Speaking of radio, I listen to a lot of radio. My school age mornings when something like alarm clock, radio, 30 minute drive to school, radio. And my dad liked to listen to NPR in the mornings and I uh, learned to listen. Especially during breaks at school, 
like I take out my portable radio with my telescopic two foot antenna and I listen to the pirate radio stations put up by the local college students. And I thought it was really cool listening to quote unquote illegal radio. And I always envision guys in cyberpunk clothes looking like the people from the Matrix or Robocop running these stations. If you guys are still out there, I still have some questions about that radio drama that was made out of clips from Judge Judy and then other clips from George W. Bush speeches. It aired around 2 a.m. when I was 14. And I don't don't know if it was real or not or if I was having a fever dream. I didn't really watch the news that much either. My only exposure to world events was through the radio. And I guess that being the drone of NPR, I guess it meant something. My dad, dad was the main reason I listened to NPR. Like I said, on the morning drives to work as he drove across an entire school district to take me to a quote unquote better school as a newly single father at that time. I guess that made sense. My first memory of my dad listening to music was probably introducing me to his Santana's greatest hit CD. Hugh Clumian that he's into what the kids call now gangster rap. I don't subscribe to the idea that 80s through 90s hip hop falling under gangster rap, but I really I digress. There are a couple of main things I remember about my dad and exposure to music such as Run DMC, Creed, Maroon 5. But I think most importantly was his, he introduced me to Public Enemy which I'm going to mention that in a later chapter because I have a time limit here and a lot to cover. I think public enemy exposure at that time, I didn't appreciate, but and it grew on me over time more and more as far as their messaging goes. And I wasn't really listening until I was listening and being quote unquote woke. I remember a long time ago, my dad took me into Atlanta for some reason. And I rem- everyone knows that when you're driving down I-85 South, you know you're making it into the city when you see that rotating ad with the slats on the side of that building and the wireframe peach that's getting more and more faded year by year. I couldn't have been older than 10. And it was when we went to an underground music shop that was on the corner. It where people still cared about mixtapes and sold playlists and mixtapes on blank CDs with magic marker labels. I feel like there is some culture here I didn't know and I wasn't aware of. There was some scene here. And if I recall correctly, a place was called Earwax Records. It's gone now, lost to the digital age. It's a store that spoke to Atlanta's culture. And I remember my dad getting a hip hop funk album that still lives to next to his Santana's greatest hit CD in a thin purple, see-through purple case. And it was my first time when I realized that music just didn't come from the Aether, didn't come from the celebrities, like people actually made it and wanted to sell it. But I want to talk about school just a little bit more, especially grade school, like one through five, and then middle school a little bit later. Uh, I realized people what they wanted were listening to what they wanted to listen to on their personal CD players, and or the rich kids had their MP3 players. And what a concept! I thought CD players were really big and bulky, and I just stood by my trusty radio with the antenna 
why would I only want to listen to 12 songs when the radio let me listen to a lot of different songs and as much as I wanted until I learned I was going to go on my first field trip into the Georgia mountains and I wasn't going to get a radio signal out there. And the day the field trip arrived, my dad conducted the parental ritual of stopping by Walmart really early in the morning, picking up things you forgot, such as snacks, Kool-Aids that came in little plastic bottles with the removable tips. And I asked my dad if he could get me a CD and a CD player. And this was a very consequential moment, I believe, in my life, because I still remember it to this day. There was a CD section in the Walmart that's lost to time now. And but at that time, it was still really popular and it was really big in the electronic section next to the headphones. And I didn't know what CD to get. I was looking at all the CDs and I was a little overwhelmed. I didn't know what rep separated the rock from the metal, from the rap, from the hip hop to the R&B. Like I knew it on. But I knew songs. I didn't know artists. I knew singles. I didn't know tracks, like whole parts of an album. I only knew the popular stuff, which was starting to show. And I honed in on what was the top selling at that time, that little top 20 section. And my first CD I picked up was one I recognized from a t-shirt one of the popular kids was wearing in school. It was Good Charlotte. And I picked it up and asked my dad to get it. And he gave me an arched eyebrow look because I didn't know what Good Charlotte was. I just knew that if Charles likes it, it's got to be good. And that's what the simplistic thoughts of nine-year-old me had. And that CD has probably brought me on a roller coaster of who I am today. So if I was recording this on my phone, I'd have a clip of Good Charlotte's The Young and the Hopeless to play for you, but I'm on the website and I can't just insert 30 second clips when I feel like it. So to talk about that album, it's their, it was their second hit album. I guess pause for a second to talk about the veracity of memory. I haven't listened to these songs in about 15 years and I still remember every single one and I didn't know if I remember them at all I wanted to prep myself by listening to these songs again and I was hit with a wave of nostalgia I was not prepared for and an ancient knowledge was dredged from to the surface from memory of songs I didn't know I knew and so, and I would sing along to but <clears throat> back to where I was like pop punk was finally making it big I had no clue my first dip into the rock genre was this was this album and with my baby blue CD player and those met with a two hour long bus ride, I unwrapped the plastic of a CD for the first time and had a like little crinkle sound that everyone loves and popped it in. I didn't know you could skip through songs on a CD player. So I thought to listen to your song, favorite song again, you had to start it from the beginning. I didn't know that the skip track song was on the side and the and the beginning button was on the top. So I listened and it was loud. It was angry. It was cool. Uh, at the time when I was a kid, they're talking about deep concepts such as teenage angst dressed in black uh, and 
dressed in a veil of black and nonconformity from songs from the anthem to the lifestyles of the rich and famous. It really spoke to the commercialized nonconformity that the popular kids liked and concepts such as the beautiful people aren't like you and that things like our parents don't really get us. And that theme carries throughout the album and it's stuck with me ways more than one. But that came out in 2002 and I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. I still have much to talk about before the 2000s hit clips. For those that don't know, hit clips were these 60 second clips of songs that came on these chips that were the size of thick SD cards. It was crazy that that's all they could hold, but now an SD card can hold an entire terabyte and that's so crazy. And who knows where a decade from now where storage will be. But you could put these chips into a miniature MP3 player or a miniature boombox. Who the hell thought it would be a good idea to put one of the, of the Backstreet Boys song choruses on loop and that's all you got to listen to. But you get to put all your hit clips of various top 20 songs on a stylish keychain. And so the other kids knew you were up with and what's popular. I remember having a couple of Backstreet Boys, Baja Men, and Britney Spears clips. I got bored of them after two weeks because who needed 60 second sound clips when the family's computer finally got the internet? So that's the end of the first chapter of Total Yearly Hours. Thank you for listening if you stuck with me this far. No ads this time. I need to still try to figure that out. Any ad revenue or donations going to go directly to Black Lives Matter or the NAACP or the or, or the National Urban League, whatever suit, whatever I find be most suitable for these donations or local community here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we're all in this together, and thank you for your time. Uh, but next time, I'm going to try and talk about uh, basically 90s out, Y2K is in, and it's going to make Fetch happen. We're going to cover video game music, wardrobe malfunctions, memes, and with the onset of what it meant to be indie. And that's going to be uh, episode two, if I ever get around to writing it. All right. Have a great day. Thank you.